open your Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and we have been discovering there in the sayings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount some tough sayings in the sermon series entitled, Did Jesus Really Say That? And we've, uh, we've discovered some comforting and some confronting kinds of things. Before I read the text, I'd like for us to bow for a time of meditation and prayer, to be in God's presence, to just sort of be still and let the presence of the Holy Spirit soak into our lives and our minds and work in our hearts. Our loving and eternal God, we have richly feasted in worship already today. You are so good to us, and we count our blessings. We know that the habit of thanksgiving enriches our own life by changing our perspective, and it it blesses you, and it connects us with you, and we thank you for this worship time and for all the gifts that you bestow upon us. We come acknowledging our sin, our failure, our deception, our struggles, our brokenness. And we pray that you will truly work in our lives, healing and restoration, forgiveness, cleansing, and a refreshing, a refilling of your Holy Spirit. We pray today for your world, for all of the leaders of nations, We pray for our men and women serving in the armed forces that you will bless them and protect them, watch over them, and we pray that wars may cease to the ends of the earth, that you will guide us in ways of peace with justice. God, we ask today that as your family, uh, we would be strengthened to keep on when we're discouraged, empowered to share your good news and good works, and that we might be refined to be patient, to wait on you in times of testing and difficulty. We invite you to work in our lives, uh, in this scripture, and in this time of preaching and listening today. And we pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and with the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse 27, I'll read through verse 32, and I invite you to stand. If you're able, please stand. And we do this to acknowledge that God's Word is coming among us, and that we are bringing our full attention. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman 
commits adultery. The words of Jesus Christ, may he bless it to our understanding. You may be seated. Several years ago, um, in this very place, I preached a sermon, uh, and the, the theme of the sermon uh, was such that I became very, very frank and clear in what I said that the Bible says about sex and marriage. Uh, and after the sermon, one of our youth, a young lady, came to see me at the door, and she thanked me. She said, I'm grateful that you were that honest and that candid from the pulpit about those important matters. And she said, I wish the church had always been this honest and this open and upfront about sex and about marriage as you were this morning. Now, I don't remember all that I said that day, but I do remember uh, some of what I said. And, and I think the part that she was talking about is the statement I made that whatever we do with our bodies, we do with our entire personalities. I think sometimes we forget that. That whatever we do with our bodies, we do with our entire person. I went on to say that our society likes to use the phrase casual sex. And I said that morning that the phrase casual sex is an oxymoron. Two words put together that don't fit together. To talk about casual sex is like talking about a shallow, deep relationship. To talk about casual sex is like talking about a temporary, permanent relationship. The two don't go together. And I said that when we have physical relations before the permanent marriage commitment, it only confuses things. Now, a story I did not share in that sermon, but uh, uh, would share with you this morning, is that sometimes we can um, find biblical truth in the strangest places and uh, even occasionally from Hollywood films. Tom Cruise starred in a movie several years ago entitled Vanilla Sky, and I don't necessarily recommend the movie, but there was a great line in the movie where a young lady who had had, uh, a heart for him, and he had broken her heart, made an amazingly insightful statement uh, after he had dumped her. She said, when you sleep with someone, your body makes promises whether you do or not. When you sleep with someone, your body makes promises whether you do with words or not. Well, I think because the church through the centuries has been so quiet about human sexuality and about uh, sex and marriage, we've been so quiet that into that void, into that vacuum has flowed all kinds of unhealthy teaching, half-truths and non-truths, and, and the world just fills up that vacuum with its own philosophy. Even in Jesus' day, there was a dangerous Greek philosophy that said that spirit and body were separate, that they, they weren't connected. The biblical concept, a more Hebrew concept, is that we are one dynamic whole, that we are mind, spirit, body, but it's all connected. But there was this teaching in Jesus' day and in Paul, the apostles' day, that, that made this dichotomy that said that spirit and body don't have any relationship at all. And you can see how easily then the playboy philosophy of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s rushed into that and, and, and latched onto that because the playboy philosophy basically says that what I do with my body is my own business. It's not God's business. It's not your business. It's not anybody else's business. It's just mine. And whatever I do with my spirit or my mind is 
unconnected to that. Dallas Willard, uh, who wrote a, a tremendous book, The Divine Conspiracy, says in that book, what a shame it is, what a shame it is that people keep trying to get from sex that which they can only experience through the loving, permanent commitment of marriage. That security, that fulfillment, that, that nourishment that only comes from that permanent bond of commitment. But the world keeps trying to get it from casual hookups. And he was exactly right. Now, now that I have your attention, I'll say it that way, uh, I want us to just back up and, and think about what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture. Jesus never dodged a tough issue. Jesus waded in with a very concrete conversation about physical relationships. And I always get amused and a little bit irritated when people who are not followers of Jesus offer me the excuse, well, the Bible just doesn't have anything to do with real life. The Bible just never has anything to say to me about life. It's all just up there, heavenly stuff. Well, really? Jesus just wades in with real stuff. Back in the 1960s, the Catholic Church launched its second Vatican Council. It's called, in modern parlance, Vatican II. Now, there may not be uh, everything that Baptists agree with in that Vatican II uh, in its statements, but, but one of the statements with which I agree is in their stated goals, goal number four. Goal number four of that council was to dialogue with the real world, not the world as church people want to see it. And I think we have a classic case of that right here. To dialogue with the real world rather than to pretend to dialogue with the world as we wish it really was. And so, what is Jesus saying in plain language about lust? Well, I would say, first of all, it didn't take Jesus long to say a whole lot. He's brief, but he's very, very clear. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Did Jesus really say that? He did. He really said that. The Greek actually reads, anyone who looks on a woman with the purpose of desiring her See, Jesus didn't say, you can't look. Jesus said, you can't lust. He said, to look on a woman with the purpose of desiring, that is, to desire to desire that person, to tempt the devil to tempt us. It is to linger there. It is to fantasize. It is to use the imagination and go places the mind should not go. That's what Jesus was talking about. You've heard the old saying, haven't you? You can't keep the birds from landing on your head, but you can keep them from building a nest. That's what Jesus was saying here. No nests. 
You can't keep the bird from landing, but no nests. Jesus was also saying something about the dignity of women and of persons that that when we lust, we objectify the other person and turn that person in a thing into a thing to have power over. And Jesus understood that to be wrong. And here's an interesting thought. Jesus was a revolutionary rabbi. He valued women and he welcomed women in such a way that there were actually women in his band of followers. We know there, were, there was Mary Magdalene, and we know there were other, there, were, there was the other Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, so there were women in his band of followers. And so uh, it's interesting to think about the fact that Jesus was not just talking to the larger crowds, but he was also talking to his disciples, and he was saying, now there are going to be male and female in our band of followers. And he was saying to the men who were following him, I expect you to keep your hands and your eyes to yourself. Jesus is pretty plain, isn't he? So what is Jesus saying about divorce? On first blush, it sounds rather harsh. But you have to remember in Jesus' day, men had all the rights. Uh, Women were considered property. And so Jesus is saying something very, very deep about the value of women. Whoever divorces his wife, Moses said, uh, let him give her a, a bill of divorcement. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Did Jesus really say that? That's pretty tough. But see... Jesus was, a, was really avoiding two ditches of extreme. If you could think of a road with two deep ditches, and both those ditches are extremes. We've talked about this before several times, and I think this analogy works. Uh, he avoids, Jesus avoids the, the ditch of license. License is a license to do anything you want. If it feels good, do it. If you want to get rid of a spouse because that spouse burnt the toast or that spouse doesn't please you anymore, then you can do it. Just do as you please. License is that which does away with the rules. The other ditch that Jesus avoided was legalism. Legalism says the rules are all that matter. You've got to keep the rules and throw out the people. See, license throws out the rules for the sake of people, but legalism throws out the people for the sake of the rules. And Jesus stayed out of both of those ditches, and he found a way of grace. And I want to explain this to you. Where in this scripture, where in any Bible passage, do you see Jesus ever saying that divorce is the unpardonable sin? It's nowhere. In fact, we know how Jesus treated the woman at the well with compassion, and she'd been married five times and was living with a man to whom she was not married. We know how Jesus dealt with compassion with the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Jesus loved and Jesus had compassion. And you see, there are a lot of commandments given in the Sermon on the Mount, sort of like what Ken was talking about in the children's time. There are a lot of commandments given in the Sermon on the Mount. Does anybody here... Does anybody here 
keep every word of Jesus obediently that Jesus offered in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount? Does anybody here never judge someone else harshly? Anybody here has never said a harsh word, an unkind word to someone else, never been violent towards someone else? Anybody here never gossiped, never hated? Anybody here never worried, always have a prayer life exactly as, it, as Jesus said, said it should be? Of course not. None of us keeps all of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. So why is it that we single out divorce and make people who've experienced divorce into second-rate citizens of the kingdom? It's not in the Bible. It's not there. And so Jesus teaches us that everyone has value, that, that we can't We can't just throw people out. That there's always grace for a fresh beginning. There's always grace for a new start, no matter the brokenness, no matter the pain. So perhaps Jesus is saying something brand new and revolutionary for us. And I want to suggest to you that sometimes we think of the teaching here this particular teaching, as kind of negative. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus is saying some things very positive about our lives. And I want to show you just three things, three positive things that I believe that Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture. First of all, I think Jesus is saying something very positive about marriage. He's saying that marriage is for keeps. Marriage is forever. Marriage is to be exclusive, that God gives the gift of marriage, making the walls very high and making it very difficult to move out of that relationship so that we'll be forced in in many instances, hopefully in most, to work through our problems. God gives us the gift of marriage, and Jesus was affirming how, how sacred that is, saying something very positive about it. I was at a conference last spring, and I heard a, a, a gentleman say something very profound about the difference between a contract and a covenant. He said, you know, a contract is something that you can break, and it doesn't really change you personally. You know, if you try to get out of your cell phone contract, it may cost you some money, but it's probably not going to scar you. It probably doesn't change you, and it doesn't change, I'm betting it doesn't change the phone company. You get out of other kinds of contracts, it doesn't really change you, it doesn't change the other person. But he said, a covenant is so deep and so binding and so profound that to enter into a covenant changes me and changes the person I enter into it with. And it is so deep and so profound that to break that covenant, it is possible to break it and still know God's grace, but to break a covenant is to be profoundly changed myself and to see the other party changed. That's how powerful covenant is. And that's why Jesus had so many positive things to say about marriage 
and about the gift of marriage and about the depth of marriage and what it really stands for. The second thing I want to point out to you is that, as I've already hinted, Jesus was saying some very positive things about women. And to a large extent, this was revolutionary. This was very different than, any, than, than what most people taught in his day and in his time. Women were treated as property. The biggest problem in the Old Testament with, with uh, adultery, according to, to a way you could read it, is you have bothered another man's property without any thought about uh, the woman's rights. And so that carried over even into Jesus' day. So Jesus comes along in this teaching this morning and he says, don't lust. Don't, don't look at another woman as if she is a one-dimensional uh, poster, a thing to be possessed. She has value. She has worth. And he says, when you divorce, remember that you're not just hurting yourself. The woman is harmed as well. And he basically is saying, you don't throw away a woman like she's a Barbie doll that you're tired of and you're going to put her on the shelf and go find another toy to play with. Women have value, Jesus said. Women have worth. Women have dignity. Women have equality. And I want to say a word right now to the young ladies and the the girls who are here in this service, and to the young men and the boys who are here in this service. Boys and men, you listen to what I'm saying. You learn to treat women with dignity and respect. You honor them. You value them. You treat them with the dignity that God has bestowed on them and never, ever abuse or mistreat them. And young ladies, don't you ever in your life settle for a relationship in which a man abuses you, disrespects you, mistreats you, and robs you or attempts to rob you of your dignity and worth. You are a child of God. You are a daughter of God. And you should never settle for anything other than a man who treats you such as that. Jesus had some very positive things to say about women. Then I think Jesus had some very positive things to say about discipleship. It may not sound positive. He says, you know... If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, then just cut it off. Did Jesus really say that? Is that positive? Yes. Jesus was saying, following me requires rigorous discipline. Jesus is calling out our very best. He's calling out our very best behavior, he is asking us to bring to the Christian life rigorous discipline and rigorous faithfulness. And that is such a high holy command that it sends us to our knees 
And it drives us to our Lord. And it causes us to cry out for mercy and for fresh filling of the Spirit because we can't do it by ourselves. We need God's help every day. And so Jesus is calling us to the rigorous, disciplined, the highway of discipleship because he values us. And whatever he commands, he makes possible. Whatever he instructs, he makes doable. And so Jesus is announcing himself as the new king, inviting us to the new kingdom, inviting us to a new relationship between the sexes, inviting us to a new relationship with ourselves and a new relationship with God. Jesus is inviting us to the kingdom way. Jesus is inviting us to the Jesus way, the Jesus way, which is not the world's way. Let's bow our heads together.